I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. There's a lot happening these days. But I have just the thing to get you up to speed on what matters without taking too much of your time. The 7 from the Washington Post is a podcast that gives you the seven most important and interesting stories, and we always try to save room for something fun. You get it all in about seven minutes or less. I'm Hannah Jewell. I'll get you caught up with The 7 every weekday. So follow The 7 right now. This episode is brought to you by MasterCard, bridging the wealth gap together with Greenwood. Hey, Money Movers, welcome back to Money Moves, the daily podcast determined to give you the keys to the kingdom of financial stability, wealth, and abundance. My name is Tanya Sam, and I'm your host, and I am so happy to introduce you to our next guest. He is a producer, writer, director. He was the showrunner for HBO series Insecure. He has also been the writer for some of your favorite shows, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Scrubs, and of course, my favorite girlfriends, just to name a few. And more recently, he is the writer and director for the Netflix film Uncorked, also a favorite, and he was the creator and host of the show Upscale with Prentice Penny. Money Movers, please welcome visionary Prentice Penny. Hi, how are you? Good, I'm good. How are you? I'm super excited to have you on the podcast. I feel like our Money Movers are itching to hear more about you and your story. <laughs> sure. So I want to start at the beginning, um, and I want to figure out, you know, everybody's dying to know how you make your break in Hollywood. You know, how, especially for a, a man of color, how you went to school, you did all the right stuff, but what was it that really gave you your first big break, first job, first crack at that glass ceiling? That's always a tough question, right? Because it's like nobody's story is like the same, right? It's like everybody's time is different, everybody's uh, journey is different. Everybody's the way, the weird way you meet people mm -hmm. is different, right? So I always say that like, it's less about like how I got it as opposed to like being prepared to get it, right? I think that's almost actually more important. Um, Come on. Because the story is different, right? So like for me, I graduated from film school, but I, when I went to USC film school, they didn't have a lot of television um, 
like classes. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'm not going to write in television. I was really kind of probably low key, like afraid because I knew you had to sit around a bunch of other writers. And I'm sure I had a lot of imposter syndrome <laughs> then of like, am yeah. I good enough? Right. And so, but I also just wasn't physically prepared to go to, to like start. I didn't know what I needed to know to write television. So for me, it was really humbling. I had to, I've, felt like I came out of this really prestigious film school, I should sort of have these opportunities. I should be sort of like, I'm supposed to have, I'm supposed to have them now. And that's not how life works. Life was mm -hmm. like, you don't know what you're supposed to have, you're not prepared, <laughs> right? And so- But were you not prepared or do you look back and go, it was a bit of imposter syndrome? No, I was actually not prepared. I mean, I'm sure it was all those things, right? I'm sure it's a little bit of self-sabotage, like trying just hard enough, but not enough to really fully commit, right? Because I don't want to be disappointed. I'm sure a part of it was, I just didn't have enough television writing experience. So mm -hmm. I had to kind of humble myself and go back to school um, to take classes at UCLA. Like UCLA has like these extension classes and I had to go back and like learn how to write like a sitcom. I didn't know how to do that. And so that was hard though. It was hard for me to like have to like graduate from like yeah. one of the best film schools and go, oh, I have to actually go back to school. And that's kind of <laughs> not the greatest thing you want to say to people, right? And so, yeah. so, but I had to do that. And I did that for like, two years just taking writing class and then writing more and more and more. And also simultaneously, like kind of bouncing around from job to job in different ways, sometimes creative, sometimes not. And I really was tough because other friends of mine were succeeding and not that I wasn't happy for them, but I was like, wow, it's been a seven years since I've graduated. Like it's real. Absolutely. Really it's real. Right. And so you're just anxious to get your start. And then you start wondering, is it going to happen? And, um, and really I had to like get other jobs that were, I realized if I stay kind of in this creative space, that's like kind of close to the business, but also like not really helping me, then like, that's not good. So I had to like, I became like a teacher. I worked at a group home. I worked at a nonprofit. Are y'all um, listening to this? Because I want, this is a perfect example too of like, okay, modern day. Okay. He has all this success and it was super easy. And it just, you know, he went to the right school, but like the in-between the grunt work, that's the grit, that's the hustle. Yeah. It, it took nine years before I got my first job. And this was all happening in the nine years, right? So it was like, and my wife, like my, she was my girlfriend, but now my wife, she was an attorney. And so she was making real money. I was making like 1800 a month. She's making like real money as, a, mm. as an attorney. Yeah, that's right. hard. That's hard for a couple too, right? Yeah. Oh, she's shouldering most of the load. And so, yeah. um, and so, but what was happening in this time that I, I feel was happening for my, for my growth as a man, as a human being was like, I had, I had to learn a lot of humility. I had to learn to wake up and do a job that I hated. I didn't like, mm. I didn't hate it. like I was thankful that I had, I was thankful that I could work at a nonprofit. I was thankful to do this, but I, it's not my career choice, right? So yep. I had to learn how do I do this? How do I wake up every day and do something I don't want to do, knowing that there's this bigger picture that I'm trying to get to, right? And I'll be writing at night. Um, but it just allowed me the flexibility, all these jobs while paying nothing allowed me the flexibility to go to UCLA at night, to continue to write. Wow. Um, and that's really what was happening. I, I just learned how to humble myself. I learned how to like grow up as a, just a person. Yeah. Um, and because I would say that that's when I really, I feel like I became a man was in this era. Um, and that's what, but I need to go through that, right? You don't know that, but I yeah. needed to go through that. So when, so I could take I just didn't have a lot of big respect for time. And I have such a huge respect for time Ooh. now. Okay. I, I, I'm, I'm so fascinated by this. How old are you at this point? Because there's a lot. You're saying like, I, I was became 20, a man. Yeah. I was, I was like 27, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like 27. Um, 
but uh, but you know, time is something that I say now is like I have such a huge respect for because then I would wake up at like you know ten o'clock and maybe I'll start writing around one. Like I just didn't respect time, right? Because time is the only thing that we're no matter all the talents and gifts that all of us have differently, time is the one thing we're all given the same, right? Mm. We all have different situations. Like I'm not gonna be LeBron James. I'm not gonna be six foot eight and do that, but I have 24 hours in my day, like he has 24 hours in his day. And it's how you use those 24 hours, right? Like time is something, you know, fancy, like rich people can't buy, you can't earn. Yes. You can't, you can't can't exchange and trade more of. It's like, it's a gift every day. And you, it's how you respect that gift, right? Of how far things you can go, right? And so, um, so really in this time, this is all happening. And then finally through developing other relationships with other like people along the way that I didn't know where this was going to go. I just kept writing, writing, writing. And I met this woman named Karen Gist, who uh, was on Girlfriends. She was a young writer then. Now she's like, she ran Our Kind of People for Fox and she ran Star for Lee Daniels. And Oh, wow. Great show. Yeah. She was a super amazing writer who I met through my wife. They both went to Spelman and uh, she was a young writer. She just kept reading me and she just would like listen to here's my script will you give me notes and finally she read a script that she's like i think this is really good and i'm gonna give it to mara mara and they had like this writer trainee program that mara was a big advocate of of getting in the door now they have like so many like diversity programs but back then there mm-hmm. wasn't that many. and that's really how and mara read it and was like you know yeah come in for an interview and, and she hired me on the show as a as a diversity hire but i still had to earn like the diversity program was like 20 weeks and after 20 weeks they could say peace or they could give you a script or they could hire you <sighs> And so you're constantly kind of having to prove yourself, right? Yeah. So well, I had to go nine years just to get us, just to like get an opportunity to try, right? And then I still had to prove myself once I got there. I mean, we're always trying to constantly prove ourselves, but but it took that nine years of relearning how to write for television, learning how to, you know, get tougher as a human being, as a wow. man. I mean, now you've got me just thinking about time and especially as a writer, you know, it's like you compared yourself to LeBron James, but I think what's interesting is like writing requires like the same amount of discipline. You have to get up and hone your craft every day, yeah. Yeah. you know? And it's like one thing when you're like, Oh, I'm just lying in bed writing in my notepad. And this is, this is, this is the training, but it, it's the same thing. Yeah. It's, it's, and I had to learn, like, you know, you have to, I really had to learn to the well, like what is it uh, you know pretend as if like you know yeah. I wasn't a professional writer but I had to treat myself like I was so I had to say okay am I going to write before I go to work cool I'll knock out an hour and a half and then I'll write after you know I had to like be very which is like now I'm like a Nazi about time I'm just like I got wow. this and this you know almost too much probably but yeah. I just know that like the day can get away from you very quickly like now I'm a very once I had kids I just became a very oh my gosh usually up at like five something 5 30 at the latest and then i'm usually trying to knock out a bunch of stuff like emails and things like that before seven o'clock 7 15 because in the morning in the morning like i try to answer emails respond to stuff because like once the day happens you don't control that so i try to knock out as much as i can in the morning when it's quiet um answer things i don't want to do in the day pay all that stuff i just try to get out so it's like done and now i can like spend my day with like actual stuff because you don't know if like you're gonna get a car accident or your mom's gonna get sick I, I, you just don't oh, you know gotta how be to- on set or anything absolutely yeah a, a million things can happen once the once the sun is up right so i try to do as much as i can while it's still dark that i can kind of get out of the way one thing i love about this money moves podcast is we get such brilliant minds on here and there's a lot of narrative and refrains that you hear over and over and it's literally the early bird gets the worm i've never had someone who says you know i usually start my day at 11 o'clock and uh, maybe a couple records but even the producers no like really it is the early bird that gets the worm and they get stuff done from the most successful people yeah 
I don't know how um, you would do that consistently, I guess. You know what I mean? It's really about consistency, right? So, yeah. and when I look at back at people that I look up to, like the Maras and, 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 and Issa's and, and Karen's and the writers I work with, like, they're all, like, they've been doing this for such a long time. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, so you're like, I've been doing it now. I, I can't believe like 18 years. And you're just like, oh my God, like, but that's consistency, right? It's consistently doing the things that, you know, yield, you know, productivity and getting rid of the things that kind of don't. So let's go back to these incredible mentors, Karen Gist, you have Mara, Akil, Brock Akil, did I say that right? Um, and somehow you landed on, I feel like one of the most, two, many of actually the most impactful shows. I'm already going back to Girlfriends because it's totally my generation. Um, how did you get that job? Was that because you'd sort of put your time in with Mara and then you ended up on the set of Girlfriends? Yeah, I mean, I, I knew the I knew Karen through my wife, and so that's how that diversity program. Uh, Mara actually got her first start on the show called South Central through that diversity program, and so Mara was just a big believer of of it. And Karen is why she hired Karen, who was a former lawyer. Actually, Karen was a lawyer before she became a writer. So, um, so yeah, so that's how I got my job on 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 Girlfriends was through this diversity program, and then eventually Mara gave me a script, and she says if I like the script, then I'll hire you. And then she liked the script. And so then she hired me. So that's really what- So, so when you say she gave you a script, she gave you a script to write. Yeah, so the way it works is in the room, you'll break a story. And then typically the showrunner will assign the script to a person. So you'll go off for like four or five days and you'll write a draft of the script, right? And so that's kind of, you know, and that's a big deal because you get paid that's for your script. That's a big deal. Um, and you get your first credit. And so I was just like, man, if I could just- you know, first I was just happy to be in the room. I just couldn't even believe yeah. I was like finally at the table, right? And it was just so much fun. And it was just, and that room was so special. I, I always say like, I didn't go to HBCU, but the way my wife describes Spelman and my friends describe Morehouse and Howard, it felt like an HBCU because everybody was so, it was just so fun. It was so, so black. black. What a unique so experience. Fun. Yeah, it was so, but so supportive, right? Because I know friends that have been on sometimes black shows that are, that, you know. Didn't have it. Right? So it was just like everybody you know, she wanted everybody to win, right? There was no like ego at play. There was no like so much of what I, I tell Mariah, I'm like 80% of how I run shows now is from stuff I learned from you. It's like your parents, right? It's like yes. your first introduction into the world. So like if your parents are dysfunctional, then you'll either embrace that dysfunction yourself or you'll rebel against it. You're like, I don't want any of that energy, right? right? So you'll either copy it or push it away. Or if you have a good experience, you go, great, I'm going to mimic the experience I had. Maybe my parents had some other crazy things. I don't want that. But for the most part, it was like a good life, right? And so that's kind of how Girlfriend was for me. It was like so much of it was great and taught me so much about how to treat people, how to run a room, how to just be a working professional in this business, especially as a Black person. So um, it was just such a great... Amazing. I love to hear that, especially, you know, you, you look at some of the statistics on, you know, of race and, of, you know, black and white showrunners in Hollywood, and you are an anomaly. I think the, the numbers say that, what was it like 91% are white, <laughs> less than five are black. So um, what you are doing, and I think the lessons that you've learned from your predecessors are really incredible because you've also recently launched a new program yes. um, to, to do more of that. And I, I want to talk about, I want to talk about that. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about it? Yeah. I, I, mean, I think the thing that the reason the program, I started the program is for the exact reason that, yeah. Uh, the, the same struggles I had coming out of school, right? Which is yeah. like, there isn't a lot of, 
you know, uh, and Essie's television program has surpassed where it was when I was there. Like they've done mm-hmm. an amazing job. Cause back then when I was going to school, my like, TV was kind of the stepchild of movies, right? Like in the nineties, like nobody it was like, if you did TV, if you're an actor did TV, it, it was, was like, cute. It was cute. <laughs> yeah, like you're using TV to break out or you are in movie jail. So you have to do TV, right? It wasn't like now where you're like Nicole Kim is doing TV or like Meryl right. TV. It's not right. like it's sexy to do TV, right? So um, so my thing was I wanted to do a program. And so it's so hard to graduate. You know, you spend so much of your life if you go to college. Typically, if you follow like a normal trajectory, right, you, 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 you know, you're starting first grade kindergarten and you'll go through high school kind of right into college, right? That's kind of a typical thing, right? Yep. So you spend most of your life being a professional student. You haven't been spending any of your life being a professional, right? Mm-hmm. So you know how to be mm. a student. You've been a student for, you know, 20, however many years, right? Like 16 years, but you don't know how do I transition from now from, you'll never be a student again to being a, you'll be a working professional way longer, right? Yes. You don't always have the skill set. You don't always know what to do. You don't always know how to act. You don't always know how to do these things. So for me, it's so hard when you graduate college to go, you know, now go, right? And yeah. how do you, and it's different. This is a different career than like an architect or a doctor or a lawyer where you're like, okay, I'm going to go to med There's school. a very clear roadmap, right? Very and you're, clear roadmap. you go to school to know what to do every hour of the day. This is very yeah. different. Yeah. A very different business. Like you can, you can write a script in college and hit, or you can do like me where you like work for nine years, doing other things and then pop, right? And everything mm-hmm. in between, right? There's no like, there's no blueprint, like you're gonna do this, 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 right? So for me, I was like, that's so hard to generate momentum out of school and be like, who's gonna put eyes on me? How do I meet agents? How do I write a script? How do I sell? Yes. How do I do this? And so for me, it was like, and especially for us, right? People of color, right? So not necessarily everybody's checking for us. And so for me, I wanted to create a program that basically was gonna take seniors, whether they're undergraduate or graduates, they'd be able to, they'd be able to like send a writing sample and pitch their version of a show and that we would develop the show with them over their senior year. And so when they graduate, we take their show out to the marketplace and try to sell it, right? Or get them agents and get them managers and like, cause I, I had actually done this with another, a friend of mine that I went to college with was a, as a was like a, a guest lecturer at AFI. And she asked me, would I hear these, would I hear some pitches and kind of give notes? And so I said, um, yeah, I said, yeah. Okay. And I heard this one pitch. And I was like, that's really good from these two, um, these two women. And I was like, would you mind if like we develop that in house? And they were like, of course. And so we've developed it. We developed <laughs> they were like, of course. But, but, you know, you never know. Like we developed it with them a year ago and we sold it last year under my Disney deal. So, wow. like, so, so they're like, so, so when I, so when we did it, I was like, well, why don't I do that? At, and they, I didn't go to AFI, but I was like, why don't I do that at my alma mater for more students of color and like, I have a deal where we can sell to kind of anywhere under the Disney umbrella for the next four years. And even if we can't sell it, we can get them agents and managers and like feature them and, you know, and then do this every year. And hopefully after a while, this program kind of becomes prestigious. Like if you, if you're, it just means like if, if, if you're a part of this program, then that means, Hey, Oh yeah, we need to just like the way Frank Luner has the blacklist. It's like, if your script's on the blacklist, it's yep. like a big deal. Right. So yep. for me, it was like, how do I do that for a school I went to for students of color, like what would I have wanted there? And so for me, that was like a big thing to just keep paying stuff forward. 
That is major. And I want to make sure money movers you check out or just we'll we'll get to how to follow you. But first up, and I think that that's such a pivotal program because like you think back to when you were, you know, a youth and you're like, there wasn't anything like this. So yeah. I, I love to say that, you know, the past couple of years have been really difficult for all of us, but there is a lot of good coming out of it. And we're seeing, yeah. you know, people always debate, are, are people putting their money where their mouth is? But I think, you know, in our community, there's a lot of people who are doing really good things to help sure. uplift and help us create wealth and opportunity. And I think the big and big business is following, you know, so when you've got people like yourself that they can't ignore, and you're reaching back to pull other people up, it's pretty exciting. Um, Okay, so let's go on to I think the question that everybody wants to talk about, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, yourself, Issa Rae, Donald Gover, so many people in Hollywood right now are going out on their own, they're creating their own production houses, um, and showcasing our stories and you know, for people of color and black people in particular. Can you tell us how you got your start with Issa Rae? Because I feel like there's a great story hidden in here. Yeah, my, um, I was on Brooklyn Nine-Nine at the time. And I was kind of, at that point I had, after Girlfriends, after, when I was on Girlfriends, like the last year the writer strike happened for people, I don't know, I'm definitely dating myself. It's like, <laughs> I remember, I remember. And there's a lot of history that comes out of that, what and came like, out of the writer's strike. Because like we were, that was at the advent of like streaming and we would have yeah. been screwed out of all that money. Now everything is streaming. So we would have been so screwed. Uh, but sadly out of that, Girlfriends, like a lot of black shows got canceled, right? And so we never got to finish the show. And so after that, a lot of black shows were canceled. And so, I think the game was the only one that was on that Mara still had. I think that only lasted maybe like two more years after the strike. Oh my but, gosh, these are all uh, my favorite shows. This is it's uh, not even dating ourselves, but they're just like classics. No, it's it's great. And so and so um so after that I had to I not I had to, I there weren't black shows to work on, and so I was mostly working on white shows and great opportunities have been super wow. helpful. Yeah, we really went through a drought then. Yeah, like from oh seven, oh eight till girl till insecure two thousand fifteen, I was the only black writer on all these shows, so like Happy Endings, wow. uh, Scrubs, Brooklyn Nine Nine, um, you know, all those. Wait, shows. And you're saying I, the only like you could look around Hollywood if I just use that, and you're like there were no other major black writers. Oh no, there were black writers. I'm saying oh. on on these <sighs> shows. I mean, no, it would be yeah. like my okay. friend would be the one black writer on his show. Yes, yes, or yes, yes. Black writer on yes. my shows, but so there weren't any big black shows. Okay. Yeah, there were no, 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 no. There were. There just weren't any. I was believing it because I was like, "Who? I mean, what an industry." Okay. I mean, there, there were no black shows. I think Tyler yes. Perry was the only one doing black, mm. like, black content at the time. But there were no network black shows. And there were no cable black shows, um, or at least not comedies. I the, like The Wire. I, can't could remember. Like, I just can't remember. But maybe The Wire. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I'm just saying it. It was definitely few and far, right, and in, in between, right, and so. Um, so, so when I was on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and these were all great experiences. I have no knocks against people. anybody that hired me and paid me. Great. You're in my you're Thank you. for life. Yes. Uh, but at a while, a certain point, it did start to feel like, why is it like, I mean, I knew why it was like this, but like, I'm tired of being the only one all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to be with my people. And so I was just kind of like, I need to move or like set something else up on my own or move to something else. And I don't, I didn't know what. And then, um, they had they in Deadline, which is the Hollywood like uh, you know website that posts all the announcements of stuff and what's happening. Uh, they had announced that Issa's show was getting picked up to to pilot for Insecure, but that Larry Wilmore was going to leave because he got a talk show on Comedy Central, like the Nightly Show that was after the Daily Show. 
And so um, I was like, oh, they need a showrunner. I was very, obviously I, I was much more senior at that point. Um, and I, my, my agent at the time, um, who's been my agent up until recently, she's over at, at the studio where I'm at now, Ashley Holland, went to college with Issa. And she was like, um, I said, can you give me a copy of the script? I'd love to read it if they're looking for a showrunner. And I just wanted to work with somebody black. Like I was like, yeah. I, 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 I didn't tell Issa this until much later. It was like, I had never seen Awkward Black Girl. I just knew what it was, but I hadn't seen it because I wasn't like, I was working like on television. I wasn't like yeah. watching and that was on YouTube. It was very different. Yeah, was, yeah. And I just wasn't up on like the college. It was just a little, Issa and I are 10 years apart. So it was just a much younger thing than what I was doing over here, right? And so, um, but I read the script and I just was like, it just spoke to everything that one, I was feeling, obviously being the only one like her at her job, but mm-hmm. like, you know, things come full circle, right? So it obviously is very much based in, and I grew up in View Park and like Lamert Park and Baldwin Hills. And so that's where the show takes place. Inglewood, these are all where I grew up. And um, obviously it's talking about a very specific kind of black, Issa and I actually grew up a block over from each other, which we found out later. And um, <laughs> you just, all these things like I, and then to, again, she works at a nonprofit again, had I not working, yeah, not gone through that period, I could speak to the nonprofit. So just the specificity of what the show represented, I knew I could offer a lot, and I knew I would protect her in a way that I would want to be protected if I was somebody like that, right? Yes. And so um, I wrote her a letter. Uh, my, my agent was like, "Why don't you write her a letter?" And so, because she didn't know who I was, and I didn't know who she was, right? Oh, and I so, love the cold letter. Yes. And so, but again, even how like people like Lena Waith, uh, shout out to Lena, who. Again, connections like Lena was an assistant on the last two seasons of Girlfriends, and so that's where I met Lena. Uh, was when she was assistant, but then she had done Dear White People with Issa. She had known Issa, so I was like, "Will you just like put in a word uh, with her?" And she was like, "Of course." Like so, again, you don't know how these friendships and things are going to come back. And so, Issa and I met um, at Esawan Books. Um, and Issa, so to Issa revealed to me later, she had never read me either, so she didn't know if I was good or not good. Right. We strength of like relationships right she knew i was a working writer she knew i was experienced she knew that i knew lena and and we knew each other so lena's not going to send anybody that's not you know whatever and uh you said i just met for like 15 minutes at a bookstore and we just started making each other laugh and it was that we both said should we do this and she was like yeah and i was like okay let's do it and like that's as much thought (laughs) as we'll get into it I love that. But you know, there's so much to your story there that, you know, I, I hope I want our audience to realize just the the power of the connections that you make. And so you met Lena and she was like, she, what did you say? She was working as a production assistant. Yeah, she was an assistant in our writer's room. Yeah. Like you have to be nice to everyone in this game because yeah, five really years, do. seven years later, like I really want people to understand, like if you're not, you don't know that person that might bring you coffee, might be the one to make a hiring decision on it. Like, like I'm Yes. Like, yeah. but, but, but one, you should just be nice because like- You should, but sometimes be people nice. are not. But no, 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 I agree. But but it's sad that you should be nice for that reason, but you should just be nice. But like to that point, like Matthew Cherry, who who won the Oscar for good hair, uh, he was a PA on our show. He was a PA on Girlfriends too. Yes. So like, yep. so you just don't, so like you're just watching, you know, all of us are kind of watching each other rise and rise and rise. And obviously yep. he's, a, he's, a, he's such a big director now, but you know, we were just all cool. You know yeah. what I mean? Like we were just all like, this is cool. So, um, and that's really how it happened. So I wish I could say it was like a this whole, like we were vetting each other and it just didn't happen that way. It happened so organic. So organic and authentically. I love that. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, 
We've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. AI might be the most important new computer technology ever. It's storming every industry, and literally billions of dollars are being invested. So buckle up. The problem is that AI needs a lot of speed and processing power. So how do you compete without costs spiraling out of control? It's time to upgrade to the next generation of the cloud. Oracle Cloud Infrastructure, or OCI. OCI is a single platform for your infrastructure, database, application development, and AI needs. OCI has four to eight times the bandwidth of other clouds, offers one consistent price instead of variable regional pricing, and of course, nobody does data better than Oracle. So now you can train your AI models at twice the speed and less than half the cost of other clouds. If you want to do more and spend less like Uber, 8x8, and Databricks Mosaic, take a free test drive of OCI at oracle.com slash strategic. That's oracle.com slash strategic. oracle.com slash strategic. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. And so now fast forward, we, what an incredible ride. I mean, you had all of us on the edge of our seats with everyone from Molly to Lawrence to, I mean, mind blowing. Um, do you, can you just weigh in on the experience of being able to bring together so many great black creators, actors? And I feel like it was really incredible because so many of them launched a burgeoning career from what you guys created. Like you guys have made a network now that is unstoppable. Yeah, I think it spoke to like what we were doing, what Mara was doing. Issa and I would of, of, often reference Spike Lee as a way that like Spike off of school days and like do the mm. right thing, kind of launch like a new generation of talent, right? And, you know, obviously coming off of that, you know, obviously you have, you know, Lawrence Fishburne, Sam Jackson, I mean, just there enough, right? You obviously Kadeem Hardison and, um, you know, mm-hmm. some, you know, Esposito, you know what I mean? Bill Nunn, like just launching like all that talent out the gate. Uh, Ernest Dickerson behind, you know, you know, uh, like, you know, just, you know, I, I can't even go on, right? Of like all the people that he's, that he's launched. And we would always reference, like, we want to bring in a new era. Cause sometimes I think what Hollywood, and obviously, like the in the way that the ninety late ninety two thousands offered gigs, and Malcolm Lee was like you know you know and, and same way John did with you know uh, like Morris Chestnut and and, mm-hmm. and uh, you know like 
Like they had their own little black mafia that they all grew from. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so for us, like, like Nia Long, like, like we wanted to do the same thing of like, okay, because Hollywood can do a thing, obviously, where they will recycle. Um, yes. They'll, they'll introduce new white talent all the time. Right. But, but they'll, they'll go back like, to the same yeah, three people to play the, the same, same role. Yeah, because there, and there's just less spots, right? So, or they'll go to like, what's the newest rapper? And it's no knock to rappers. Like, there's a lot no. of talented like rappers who can act for sure. But it just for them, they don't try to go. Let us break somebody. Well, the thing that I think that you guys also did that I really fell in love with is you created not even created new roles, but you added a level of diversity and depth to characters, right? And you think back to old Hollywood and be like, we had the black man playing the black man role. That was it. Right. But you added so much, so much more dimensionality to to the characters that you guys brought to screen. And I think that's because you guys yeah. had, a, as a showrunner, you had that creative control and you lived this experience in a very different way when you were like, of okay, course, we can, yeah. you know, a Molly was very different than, um, uh, blanking on names, but do you know, like yeah, there was so much depth yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, I think it's because the people that are, the people that are playing the characters are being written by the people who also share that humanity. Right. And yep. share, like the language of, of, one of empathy and wanting to create a full dimensionalized character as opposed to just going, just be this, right? It's, it's a different thing when you're, you know, seeing somebody as an object, right? And yep. I'm putting the way yep. I want you to be on you versus who are you and you tell me what that needs to be, right? Because that just requires humility. It requires a showrunner to listen. It requires a showrunner not to be right. And most people want to be right, mm. right? So, um, yeah. So obviously, it, you know, it comes with so much love. I mean, we're doing it in love, which is a totally different point of view. All right. So I want to use the last little bit of our time because there's a lot of people on the podcast who are aspiring writers, authors, um, and looking to break into the industry. And it's hard. You know, there's no clear roadmap where it's like, submit to here, you'll get it read or not. So let's go back to if you could help us, like you're the, uh, you know, an aspiring writer and you've got a great idea, either for a book or a novel. Um what are the steps? Like, how do we begin to even get our work seen? I mean, obviously, that's such a different thing, right? It's almost, you know, a book is different than somebody that wants to write a script, which is different than somebody that wants to write a movie, right? I mean, there's, I mean, the Writers Guild, I think, has a bunch, has a huge list on their website that you can just access for free that has, like, all the, like, film festivals, a bunch of, like, writing fellowships that you can apply to and submit. All Most of the networks have, like, some kind of diversity program or some sort of placement program like that. So they all have some version. I think the Writers Guild has the most access. They have a giant list because I just sent it to somebody the other day to say, like, hey, you should look at this. Um, but the other thing you should do is like make your own content. Like in this day and age, I tell mm. people like there's no reason why. I mean, you can, you know, type a movie on your computer. You can shoot it digitally on your phone if you had to. And then you can edit it back on that same computer and you can upload it and distribute it off your computer. Like everything, when I was coming up, you had to shoot on film and then transfer yep. the film to video and then transfer it back to film. It just it was too so costly. Now everything is HD anyway. Your phone is HD. So like you can shoot, I mean, Matthew Cherry shot, I think his first or second feature on his phone. You know what I mean? So you don't need a bunch of stuff. As long as you got enough memory on your phone, you know, and offload it. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 I get really dicey saying do this, do that, because it, it, it really I could just say is like just work, 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 work at your craft constantly, constantly, constantly. And and one thing Issa always says, and I think it's so true, is like you got to hustle laterally. Like I always mm. tell people, like, don't try to don't try to get to me. I, everybody's trying to get to me. Everybody's trying to get to Donald Glover. Everybody's trying to get like it's too many 
people like I could even if I wanted to meet with everybody for coffee, everybody goes, Can you meet for coffee? Like you can't like there's I would never get anything done. And it's not yep. not. I just I still have to do and also like I have my own ideas. So yeah. like, it's not that like I don't want your idea. It's like we all think we have great ideas. If we didn't, we wouldn't why would we why are we doing this? Right. So I think it don't get to me is like have you you and your friend partner up to make that idea, right? And then as a result, you help him, they help you, and then you can rise together. But it's like it's if you're if everybody's racing to the door, what's well, gonna get right. lost right at a certain point. So like go make your own door. Um which I, I love that because I think it's it's also the same in the venture capital thing where it's like, well, can I just pick your brain for coffee? Can I run my idea by you? And there's just, you know, once you, and, and here's the thing, I think oftentimes people get a bad rap, like they're like elevating their game and there's just the volume that's thrown at yeah. them. You're like, I just can't take it all. Yeah. So you've got to find those special ways to like, you know, make attention for yourself, create pilots right now. As you say, like, it's a different world out there. You can do a lot of the work and get it noticed in some really creative ways. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I would say trying to get to me is like, you can, because there's so many gatekeepers that will prevent me from doing that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. So it's like, it's almost like a fool's errand. Like they're going to like let you in when they feel like you've done enough to be let in. Right. And yes, and people aren't honest enough that they've done enough to get let into the party. And I don't mean like trying to keep you out. I just mean that like, they haven't done the work. Yeah. Like what, why, what have you done to sit here? If you're sitting, a, if you're like, if you're like, if I'm a, if I'm a writer and I'm a young writer, and I've never read anything. Well, what, what have I earned? To sit at that table, yeah. it's not mean that you get there one day. It just means you got to be able to speak language with other people. Otherwise, you're gonna you're not ready yet. And that's what you're I mean. Like, and I said I had to go back to school. Like, I wasn't ready yet. I was not ready. And that's what I say it's, it wasn't so much the imposter part. It was like I was physically and skill wise not ready to play at that level. Ooh, and I love having this conversation because oftentimes, you know, the loudest people are the most ill-prepared, but they're the ones who will complain the most. So y'all sometimes do not want to hear this, but you're not ready. And so being able to be coachable enough to go back and be like, well, what does it take for me to go to be ready? You know, and sometimes you have to go back to the bottom rung and sit there and, you know, hone your craft. And, you know, it's like you can graduate with a degree, but you got to put in the work. And sometimes that means you're like, I'm in those times. I don't even know if you're in the writer's room at this point, but you're just on set. Maybe if you're lucky. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, my friend always says the easiest person to lie to is yourself, and that's no, oh, it is so true. Or to blame somebody else for why you're mm-hmm. not where you are. Um, okay, so a couple more questions because I know your time is super precious. Tell us what is coming up next for you. You've launched first up. You've got, you know, that's hey, it's another great way to get to him. So if you guys weren't paying attention, pay attention mm-hmm. now. Um, but tell us what you have on the docket and coming up for um, your company. Uh, so yeah, so we have a deal um, at the studio. Uh, under the Disney umbrella called the Onyx Collective, which is a studio that's run by um, people of color creating content for people of color. So like it's run by this woman named Tara Duncan, who's amazing, who runs Freeform, uh, this sister. And so she runs the Onyx Collective. Um, they first put out Questlove Summer of Soul Doc. Um, I think they have two more shows coming out this year, one with Kerry Washington and Delroy Lindo that, uh, that um, uh, who's this? Who's this? Uh, I'm with him. Uh, uh, Terry McMillan. That's Terry McMillan. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and this other one called Reasonable Doubt. And then, but like, I'm over there. Uh, Natasha Rothwell, who plays Kelly, is over there. Uh, Ryan Coogler has a deal at Onyx. Uh, 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 Dustin Creighton. Wow. So, These are some great, great minds. Yeah. yeah. So we have so we have a deal there for the next four years. And it's really exciting because uh, like we've sold 
five things over there, four comedies and a docu-series that I'm going to direct. Um, and then we have a bunch of stuff over there. Then I also have a comic book division of my company called Payback with uh, an amazing comic book guy named Sebastian T. Jones, who I met when I was at HBO. We were developing, wow. we were developing his graphic novel. Um, and one of the things he was saying was that oftentimes comic creators of color kind of go uh, ignored. Obviously, Marvel and DC have such a big piece of the pie. Oh, for sure. That, that most of the white indie comics that were getting made obviously like the Kick-Ass or Scott Pilgrim Saves the World or all those kind of comics, but nobody's looking for our independent comics. And so we formed a company to to write independent comics, to develop I, to, to develop comics that already exist by creators of color and develop their IP into TVs, movies, and to funnel it through my deal at Disney. Um, and if we can't set it up there, then to maybe do them as movies. So that's really exciting. Um, we have two comics that we're uh, developed, three four comics that we're developing right now that'll be TV shows. Um, wow. Hopefully. Were you into comics growing up as no. a kid? Because I feel like that is like a huge market. Yeah, no. I mean, I would occasionally, I was not a comic person. Like I would watch like Transformers on TV or X-Men on TV, like the cartoons, but I was not a like sit there like this yeah. is X-Men 5. Like, no, I was not that. I kind no, of I, but I, I love those movies, right? Like I yeah. love like all the Marvel stuff and I love, so I love them as, properties and I love what you can do with them. I was a huge Star Wars fan. So like, mm-hmm. I, I love what, you know, and I would read those books, but I, I love that what you can do with them, especially with us as the head of them. Right. Um, as, so that's what it, so that's what's exciting. So I, I have those things. I have a movie at Netflix that I'm directing that we're out, that we're out to some talent right now to do like possibly next year. What? Um, the list yeah. is endless. This is so exciting. This is yeah. really exciting. Like congrats on just an excellent journey. My last question I want to ask you, it's like the state of television right now. Like we're, mm-hmm. we know like there's linear TV, there's um, OT, OTP and o- all these OTT programs. Like where are you placing your money? Do you think linear is going to decline so significantly and we'll all be streaming or what are you sort of looking towards? In the I think future? they'll all kind of find, they'll kind of work hand in hand, right? I think, I think like, I don't think we're going away from like content, right? I do think subscribers will peak out at a certain point, but I don't think it's going away. Like it's like saying the internet's going away. It's like streaming's not going away. <laughs> things on there. To me, streaming and cable are very similar types of platforms, right? You can just mm-hmm. be more creative. You can do more things, but there's always going to be, I think linear television, like the network version we know is going to be less scripted. I think it's going to be more events and like sports and unscripted type things, mm. which you kind of already see a lot of that. A lot of their programming now is going towards sports, uh, unscripted because it's inexpensive to do and it still gets the same numbers, right? So, yep, yep. Uh, so I think there'll always be some form of that. I think the days of like when you had all these eyes on like a Seinfeld, I think that's like a wrap. Yeah. Uh, I think it'll be like you know, each streaming thing will have their pop. Like this is, HBO has Game of Thrones and I'll be like the thing. And then this one will have Narcos and that'll be the, you know what I mean? And then it'll be like, everybody kind of has like their version of something. Um, but I think we're definitely skewing more to a streaming type thing. Cause people, and I think we're viewing going that way in the world. Yeah. In general, people like you can buy a car line and have it sent to your house. Like people yep. are just like, not, not like, I want things how I want them. I don't you want things them. how I want them when I want them on yeah, demand. Right. And, I, and I'll do that, right? Like, that's the world we're in now, right? It's like, there's so many things going on. Like, I could, I'd rather just look at my phone and be on Twitter. I mean, you could be on Twitter for so long. You're like, that's two hours you'd normally watch TV. Like, there's so many things. Oh my gosh, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, there's so many things that people that want that are that can pull your attention, right? And there's always, again, it's only so many hours in the day. 
that you can only give so much time to so many things. So uh, I like I know people who are like, I just started watching Insecure last year because it's like, yeah, if you're not like, you know, uh, you know, which yeah, yeah, it's like it's a I mean, and sometimes watching programs is about the timing in your life. You're like, yeah. I had no time, and now I, I will say, my sister has two twins at home, and they're six months. She's just got one earphone in, and she's they can't talk to her. She's talking to yeah. them. She's like, I got to feed you for three hours. I'm yep. gonna watch a that's show. Just what, that's just what it is. <laughs> that's just what it is. Well, thank you so much for your time on this podcast. Oh, thank you. Before you leave, can you let our Money Moves audience tell us where they can find you on social media and you know check out some of the programs that you're launching? Yeah, um, on Twitter and Instagram, it's the underscore a underscore apprentice, the apprentice um, on both platforms. Um, and uh, yeah, that's I mean, and most of my stuff will be coming out next year. All right. Well, thank you, Prentice. Thank you so much for all that you've given us through the screen. We are all grateful. And Money Movers, that's all the time we have for today. But make sure to follow Prentice Penny on all his social media handles and tune in to all his upcoming shows and releases. And if we have helped you make your money move, please let us know by sending us a like, sharing the knowledge, and or leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you so much for tuning in, Money Moves audience. If you want more or a recap of this episode, please go to thebankgreenwood.com and check out the Money Moves podcast blog. Money Moves is an iHeartRadio podcast powered by Greenwood, executive produced by Sunwise Media Inc. For more podcasts on iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. From BBC Radio 4. Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. 
Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play.